Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Genesis chapter 4, if you'll go there, we're studying the subject of redemption. Last week we taught on man's condition in Adam, but wasn't that pitiful? People wonder why there's so many things in the world that's awry. Well, that's the reason right there. You say, can one man affect so many people? Well, thank God one man did because that gave God the right to use one man to redeem us. Did you get that? You say, well, I, I, don't, I, really, I really don't think it's fair that one man affect everybody. Well, it doesn't really matter what's fair or not. It happened. But the good news is that God, because one man fell, God used that principle to bring one man to redeem us. And we know he wasn't just a man, amen. He was God manifest in the flesh. Hallelujah. Now, before we get into our teaching today, we're going to begin to get into a few types and shadows of the Old Covenant. Let me say this about the subject of redemption. The subject of redemption is the gospel. Now, let me say that again. The subject of redemption is the gospel. It is the good news. Now, something that I've said over the years that I... It's not unique to our ministry, something that I've read in several different books of people that write on the subject of redemption, which I think is, is a unique perspective which we must understand, is that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are a portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ, painted by all of the wonderful works and deeds that He did for three and a half years of ministry and by His death, burial, and resurrection, which was the culmination of the redemptive sacrifice. Now, the letters to the church, which are so important to us today because it is what is relevant to us when it comes to Revelation. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, Revelation is progressive, which means you just can't, you just can't go into the book of Job and decide that's the way you're going to believe God. Amen. No more than you could go into Leviticus or, or any other Old Testament. The Apostle Paul said, all these are given to us for example. Always remember this, the, 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 the Old Covenant was something written to us. But the New Covenant is something written for us. And the letters to the church, all of the letters to the church, do not present a portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ. They provide an x-ray. And in that x-ray, you kind of, not kind of, you do, you see yourself in Him. Because you must, that's, that's the whole purpose of the study of redemption is to see yourself in Christ. Religion doesn't paint that picture. Religion paints the picture of an individual that cries out to God based upon their need but who remains even after the answer of God a poor old sinner saved by grace, a sick person trying to get healed, a poor person trying to get rich, an oppressed person trying to get delivered where, where redemption does not does not show us that. The x-ray of that shows us in Christ. We're not poor old sinners saved by grace. We're the righteousness of God in Christ. We're not the sick trying to get healed. We're the healed of God using the Word of God and the anointing of God to fight off sickness and disease. We're not poor trying to get rich. We're, the, we're already the rich of God using tithing and offering and generosity and, and giving in order to appropriate that which we need to go through this life and to finance the visions of God. Amen? Every vision brings provision with it. Now, we must understand that goes against the grain of religion. Because what religion tries to do is to control people because they try to say, without us, 
You can't get to God. They stand between you and God as a mediator. But you've been given a better mediator, a better advocate, and His name is Jesus. So we must study redemption in the light of who we are in Christ Jesus from the end of the story, not the beginning, and that imparts unto us understanding. Now, here's something you're going to have to do. All of these things that we study, especially when we get in types and shadows, things that went on in Genesis, you're just going to have to understand them because you're not going to get an explanation and anybody that thinks they have an explanation is wrong. You say, why? Because the Bible says by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that the things that do appear we know were made of things that do not appear. Well, explain that. You're not going to explain it. You have to accept it by understanding. And the thing is, in the natural, you understand, you, you operate by understanding every day. I mean, we, 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 we went on a little trip yesterday morning and, and we had to go through the line there in, uh, 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 at the ferry where they, where they uh, uh, you know, open your hood and look for the bombs and guns and everything else, you know. And so, you know, they, they opened the hood of my truck and I looked in there at that engine and I thought, I ain't got a clue. All I've got is an understanding of where the key goes in. And the D, when I put it in the D, it goes forward. When I put it in the R, it goes back. And that's not, that's not very much of an explanation of anything. But through understanding, I'm able to drive that vehicle. Fly on airplanes. Use my cell phone. So much of our life is encompassed by understanding. But then when we get into spiritual things, we want an explanation for everything. Well, if you had an explanation for everything, you wouldn't need faith. And the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. Now let's begin in Genesis. Go over to chapter 4. Let's start there. And we're just going to we're going to hit a couple of things here real quick. We know that they've been kicked out of the garden. They're out of the garden. Verse 1 says in chapter 4, Adam knew, his, knew Eve his wife and she conceived and bare Cain. And she says, I've gotten a man from the Lord. Now literally if you study the Hebrew in this, she thought this was the Messiah. When you study, I've gotten a man from the Lord, that phrase in Hebrew, because God had promised that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. So the first seed of the woman that came on the scene, she thought, wow, that's the Messiah. But it wasn't. Amen. And we know the story. The next child was born. His name was Abel. And, and, and Cain became a tiller of the soil. Now remember, the soil was cursed at that time. Everybody say cursed. Now, you say, well, does that make a difference today? Yeah, we'll see, we'll see by the time we finish teaching today, we'll see that the curse was removed off of the soil. Thank God it was, or we probably wouldn't be here. Amen? You say, why? Because the soil has to be blessed in order to produce the food for such a large amount of people on the planet today. Uh, so here we have Cain and Abel, and, and they're brothers, and, and, and one of them tills the soil, and another is the keeper of herds and flocks. Cain tills the soil. Abel is the, is the tiller of, uh, uh, um, excuse me, uh, Cain tills the soil. Abel is the keeper of herds and flocks. Now, they both had an understanding of giving. Isn't it amazing that right in the beginning of creation, there was an understanding of giving to the Lord. So they brought, both brought an offering to the Lord. Now, one offering was accepted and another was rejected. Which I think, you know, a lot of times when we teach on prosperity, we don't teach on this because people get upset when you talk about money and they really get upset when you talk about their money and how they give it. But we know very clearly by the Word of God there are some offerings that are accepted and there are some offerings that are rejected. 
Now, I've heard all kinds of teaching on how the soil was cursed and the, and the, and the, uh, uh, you know, the fruit that came out of it was cursed. Well, the animal kingdom was cursed also. I mean, it was the violence began in the animal kingdom. All that, It was cursed also. But we know by Hebrews, because Hebrews says, By faith, Abel gave a more excellent sacrifice. So we know the one elephant, elephant, the one element, amen, could have been the one elephant. That'd be a big offering, amen. The one element that made Abel's offering acceptable was faith. Which means what? Every offering you bring, you bring by faith and it's an acceptable offering. Well, you know, it didn't cause just a mild argument to take place. It, it caused a, a murder. The first violent act of murder that took place on the earth happened in God's creation in His, in His original family when one brother slew the other. Amen. And if you study it, God came down. He began to look around. He said, hey, you know, where's your brother? And, and what, remember Cain's uh, great remark? Well, am I my brother's keeper? Well, the answer to that is yes, you are. And God said, the blood of your brother cries out. Amen. Which means the blood of the innocent that are slain always cries out. Well, I'm not going to get off on that, but it's true. Amen. And then, you know, Cain was cursed and began to become a wanderer. He said, uh, he said, you know, my punishment is greater than I could bear. The Bible says that God put a mark on him. He said, well, what does all that mean? I've read this book. I've read that book. I'm... Listen, by faith we understand. Now let me just say this, because this will help you. I've seen so many people get in the ditch. Brother Osteen taught us years ago, major on the majors, minor on the minors. Don't major on the minors and minor on the majors. Where was Cain's mark? I don't know. I don't care. Was it a tattoo? I don't know. I don't care. See, people that get in that will split the church on it. We got those over here that said he went to a tattoo party. We got those over here that said, God, come on, church. He was marked by God everywhere he went. Everywhere he went. And the Bible also says that God marked him in such a way that people could not punish him because he was afraid that his punishment would cause him to be murdered also because of the law of Genesis of what? Ever seed reproducing after its own kind. Now, from there we get into something that's really interesting, which is the genealogy of man. And you can go read about who begot, who begot, who begot, who begot, who begot, all down through those generations. And out all these people lived 750, 850, 900 years. And a lot of people thought, well, you know, God was doing everything he could do to replenish the earth. Why? The earth was cursed and man was cursed. God was not trying to replenish the earth. And people didn't really live all of those amount of years because God's hand was upon them. Now, this is very important for you to understand. Those people lived so many years because they didn't know how to die. Man was created in the likeness and image of God and he was not created to die. And it took a lot of men 600, 700, 800, 900 years to figure out how to die. How to cooperate with the curse of spiritual separation from God, which is death, that finally ran its course and men died. Amen? Until we get over into chapter 
chapter 6 and it talks about some controversial things. Came to pass when men begin to multiply on the face of the earth, verse 1, and daughters born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men and that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he, uh, for he is... For, for he is also flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days. Uh, and also after that, the sons of God came into the daughters of men and, the ch- and, and bore children unto them. And they became known, uh, and they became mighty men, uh, which were men of old and of renown. Now, I've seen people take this portion of Scripture and rip churches to pieces. Who were the sons of God? Who were the sons of men? Who were the giants of old? Who were the men of renown? Well, look, you can get in there and you can study all that. But at the end of the day, it's not going to help you pay your bills. It's not going to cause your faith to be strengthened. There's a lot of information depending on who you read after. Of who the sons of God were, of who the were angels procreate or trying to procreate, were demons trying to procreate, were there aliens? Now here's something that's unique because when I was young in ministry and traveling a lot, I read a lot of books. And so there was a lot of people that were commenting on this and there were a lot of Bible commentators. <laughs> and this always used to amaze me. And anyone I ever got to talk to personally, it was, it was just an amazing phenomenon. Every person that wrote something different from somebody else was absolutely convinced that what they wrote was right. But let me, can I help you? Just as your pastor... That's all the information we have. It's about eight verses. And you can dig into the Hebrew, and you can dig into the, to the Greek and the linear and all this kind of stuff, and dig and dig and dig and dig. But at the end of the day, there's a bunch of crazy people on the earth. There are a bunch of crazy spirit beings. There was all this craziness that was going on because of the fall, and God had an answer for it, and it was one of the most amazing, wisest, uh, intelligent, knowledgeable plans that any being in the universe ever came up with to redeem His creation. Amen? Now, in the midst of that, The iniquitous part of man. Now remember this about Adam and the woman in the garden. When they sinned, the righteous element of who they were departed. That's spiritual death. And the iniquitous element of the adversary who who caused them to sin, who brought them into sin, was transmitting into them. And man became, like he is today outside of Christ, an iniquitous creature. You say, now what is an iniquitous creature? An iniquitous creature is one that has an impulse to sin or an impulse to break the laws of God. But one of the amazing things about God is God left an element of Himself in humanity in order to regulate iniquity. You say, what is that? Willpower. Amen. Now, now I, I, I guess we're living in a time in which that willpower has been eroded to such a point You say, what do you mean by that? Well, if you totally yielded to the iniquity that was in you, you'd you'd have shot somebody coming into church when they cut you off at the stop sign. Amen. 
Because there's all kinds of elements that cause iniquity to literally be uh, amplified in your life. You pour enough dope on it. You pour enough alcohol on it. You pour enough, uh, 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 you pour, you pour enough violence into it. That's why we have penitentiaries. And what's amazing about the freest nation is the, in the world is we're the most locked up nation in the world. You say, what do you mean by that? Per capita, no other nation in the world has more people in penitentiary than the United States of America. Not North Korea, not China, not any other nation. The reason is our freedom affords us to the, the, the opportunity to explore literally the, the limitless boundaries of iniquity. And there are people out there in sin just, just doing things that would blow your mind. I saw something the other day. Don't get in fear over this. Stay in faith. Amen. But I saw something the other day. It was a map of the United States and there were 2,000 dots on that, knot, on that map. And this is a, a, a program had to do with law enforcement. This, this program was made in 2015. And on the map of the United States, and it showed Alaska and Hawaii, on that map were 2,000 dots. Every dot represented an unsolved mass murder in this nation. Some of them have gone on for 40-something years. Amen. You know where most of the dots were? Anybody know? Right here in between Galveston Island and Loop 610. Where they've had hundreds and hundreds of unsolved murder, murders over the past 60 years. They don't know if it's one person, two person. They think they got one in jail. They think they may have another one that's in jail. You don't know. I mean, the world's gone crazy. What is that? That's the yielding to the iniquity that's on the inside that does not come from God. God did not make us as creatures of iniquity. He made us to house His righteousness and His glory. Thank God when Jesus came to the earth, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and made salvation available, the first thing that happens, the greatest miracle you'll ever receive is what? You go from darkness to light, you go from death to life, and you go from iniquity into righteousness. So now we've got, I, I, don't, I can't do all of this justice because it's, it's, there's so much information. There, verse chapter 7, the Lord said unto Noah, everybody say Noah. Begins to talk to him up in the previous chapter. Now he found in Noah a man, the Bible says that he found grace in him. Which obviously Noah was a man who, 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 who somehow had a response to God that empowered God to grace him. And in so doing, God found a type. You say, what a type? He found a type and a shadow of redemption in a man called Noah. And he gave Noah a plan to not only save himself, but his whole family. She got a better amen than that. You say, why? Because God always gives you a plan to save yourself and your whole family. Now, the Bible says that the earth was covered with violence. That means violence was in the animal kingdom, violence was in the plant kingdom, and violence was in the human family. Amen? And the Bible says God repented Himself and said, I wish I'd have never made man. I'm going to wipe the whole thing out and start all over. But He found a man who was responding to Him. And He gave the man a plan. And the plan was to build an ark. Everybody say an ark. Now, people say, well, you know, that's kind of a fantasy. No, no, no. It really happened. There was a man on the earth that built an ark. 
And upon the ark, listen, this is not Walt Disney, this is not Hollywood. This literally happened. That man, under the inspiration of God's knowledge and under the anointing of God, was able to gather two of every creature that he desired to be saved. Bring them into the ark. And the Bible said on the day that the rains began and the bowels of the earth opened up, God shut the door. That ark is Christ. Well, I would get a better amen than that. You say, that ark is Christ. That ark is Christ in a type or shadow of redemption. Because in that ark, God raises us up above the storm of sin, iniquity, sickness, disease, violence, you name it, God raises it up. And Christ is that ark that you have to get into in order to be saved. Everybody say, be saved. Now, something interesting, since we're a Holy Ghost church, go to chapter 8. I heard a guy teaching on this one, I was kind of tickled. He said, you know, the waters on the earth were a type of the judgment of God. I thought to myself, I don't think they were a type. If you had have been there, you would have said, this is the judgment of God, amen. But everybody say the waters receded. Now, this gives us an indication that God had judged the earth, but as the waters receded, that is the type of God's judgment receding. Now let me make a point here that will help you. Because as we begin to get closer and closer to the rapture of the church, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the tribulation period, those three times, you're going to begin to see a lot more things happen in the earth that are going to look like the judgment of God. But remember, and we'll study this as we continue. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I want to throw it out to you. Jesus, in declaring His own ministry, declared that He was ushering in a new dispensation. Everybody say dispensation. You say, what was that dispensation? He called it the acceptable year of the Lord. As He spoke that in Luke chapter 4, He was quoting directly out of the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah, the quote continues, the, day, uh, the acceptable day of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God. So, so literally, Isaiah looked down two different spokes. I see it like a, a hub of the prophetic. And Isaiah looking down the spokes of time and seeing the acceptable year of the Lord, which Jesus would bring in through redemption. And then the, the day of the vengeance of our God, in which one dispensation would end and another would begin. Now, let me just say this. There are, there is a relative doctrine out there called cross-dispensationalism. You say, well, what does that mean? That means one dispensation begins to take from another for a moment of time. or for, a, for, for you know, let's, just, let's just use Jesus' ministry as an example. He came in under the covenants of Abraham, under the covenants of David, under the, under the Levitical covenants and operated, but he also operated in the acceptable year of the Lord. You say, how did he do that? He was able to cross the dispensational lines. The Bible speaks of us as a church that we're going to be able to do what? As a church, we taste of the powers of the world to come. What's that going to be like? That's going to be awesome. That means God is planning for the church a time, I believe it's going to be a short time, in which the gifts of the Spirit are going to be turned up, revelation knowledge is going to be turned up, the power of God is going to be turned up in order to bring harvest in. Amen. But in the meantime, you may view events that happen on the earth, that people will declare that is the judgment of God. Well, it may be some judgment may come. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. 
But the good news is, now listen to me very carefully. This will help you in your study of things to come and what you hear. God poured out His judgment upon the body of Christ. Literally. When He hung on that cross, you were judged, I was judged, we were judged. And let me tell you something about God. He will not judge Christ's body a second time. He's already done it. It's already happened. He'll not do it a second time. But now I like this. This is cool. This is the story of when the waters begin to recede. Go down to verse uh, Go down to verse uh, 6. It says, It came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the windows of the ark which he had made. Now notice this. And he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up off the earth. Also he sent forth a dove. Everybody say a dove. Now notice the phrase, from him, to see if any waters were abated from off the face of the earth, but the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot. And she returned again unto the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. And he put forth the hand and took her in and pulled her, uh, pulled her in unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet another seven days. Everybody say seven days. Type of God. He says, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came into him in the evening. And lo, in her mouth an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew the waters were abating or receding off of the earth. And he opened yet another seven days and sent forth the dove, which entered not again unto him anymore. Now God is literally giving us the assignment of the Holy Ghost in the earth. You say, what do you mean? Well, the Holy Ghost has always been a type of a dove. Remember, he came, on, uh, uh, came down in the form of a dove on Jesus there at John's baptism at the Jordan River. Now, the first dispensation, which was the Old Covenant, God sent out the Holy Ghost, but he never found a place to live or to put his feet. The Spirit of God would come upon three types of people, the prophet, the priest, the king. But the Spirit of God did not abide in the hearts of anybody. The second dispensation was the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ when the dove came back with what? The olive leaf. Actual Hebrew says the branch. Who is the olive branch or the olive leaf of Israel? That is Jesus the Messiah. That is the anointing of the Holy Ghost and the power of the Holy Ghost that rested upon, rested upon Him for three and a half years. Now, let me answer this question too. People say, Pastor, how long is a dispensation? You want to know? Anybody want to know how long? I'm going to answer it once and for all. How long is a dispensation? As long as God says it is. How about that? You say, I don't know. How do you say that? Well, there was a 4,000 year dispensation from the fall until Jesus. Then there was only a three and a half year dispensation of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we've been a 2,000 year dispensation of the acceptable year of the Lord. It's whatever God says it is. Because God is God. But now notice, I love that last verse. Oh my goodness. It said, he sent forth the, uh, the dove to him in the evening, and in the mouth was the olive leaf, plucked off, speaking of Jesus. Noah knew that the waters, what? When Jesus came to the earth, judgment was beginning to be abated from the earth. But verse 12, he stayed yet another seven days and sent forth a dove, which remained, which returned not again unto him anymore. So this last time he let the dove go, 
Noah being a type of God, the dove being a type of the Holy Ghost, what did he do? He let it go. God released the Holy Ghost for the last time. Jesus said it like this. I'm going to send you another comforter and he's going to abide for, abide with, uh, for you and in you. He's going to be with you and going to be in you and he's going to be there for how long? Just a Sunday service? He's going to be there forever. That last dispensation of the Holy Ghost is the Spirit of God that abides in you and is upon us for how long? Everybody say forever. Now, verse 20, it says, Noah built an altar unto the Lord, took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered a burnt offering on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. Now we've got the curse removed off the ground. Amen. For the, for the imaginations of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again smite any more everything as I have done. Now notice, while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Amen. Now this is the law that God instituted, initiated, released into the earth at the end of the flood. That as long as the earth remains. Now, you know, I know there's all kinds of teachings and theologies and all kinds of speculations about the earth, you know, flipping on the poles are going to switch. You know. Listen, the Bible says that God has set the boundaries of the ocean. Amen. Brother John Osteen used to, to, to preach a great message on a little grain of sand. Just a little grain of sand standing there. So insignificant, just nothing, just, just a little grain of ocean sand. But he lived right on the boundary of the ocean and the beach. And the ocean rose up and began to say, I'm going to cover you up. I'm going to flood the earth. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And the little piece of sand said, well, you do what you want to. But God says he has set the boundaries of the ocean, but you're going to have to go back. As much as you flood, as high as your waves are, as much storms you want to send, it does not matter. You're going to have to obey the God and you're going to have to go back to your place. So as long as the earth remains, we're going to have, now notice what it says, there's going to be seed time and harvest. You say, well, I'm telling you, preachers sure have perverted that. No, they have not. And when you study seed and what seed is. I mean, I heard something the other day that was amazing. They found some kind of seed that had been in an Egyptian tomb for over a thousand years. Got it out and planted it and it grew. There's life in the seed. Amen. Seed time and harvest. Now let me just help some of y'all. Some of you have given. Some of you have believed God. You obey God as far as you know you can with tithing and offering. You do it with joy and you haven't really seen a breakthrough in your life. It's time for you to begin to, to declare your harvest. Amen. And say, God, you're the God of seed time, but you're also the God of harvest. We do, it, we do it when it comes to souls. We do it when it comes to everything we do. We do it when it comes to finances. You say, why? Because God has put a law in His Word that as long as the earth remains and we can still put our feet on this earth, there's going to be seed time and harvest. Amen. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So those laws have been enacted by God and they're in existence unto this day. Now, one more thing I want to show you. And then we'll pick up with Abraham next week. Go to the next chapter, which is chapter, uh, what is it, chapter 10, 9? Chapter 9, 
Nope, that's not the one I want to do. Go to chapter 11. Go to chapter 11. If I do that one, I'll be too long. We'll look at it some other time. Go to chapter 11. It says the whole earth, verse 1, was of one language and of one speech. Everybody say language and speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick and st- for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top, whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad, uh, scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. So this is the human family building a city and a tower. Now look look what the Lord said. The Lord said, Behold, the people is one. Everybody say unity. This is one of the reasons the adversary fights unity. Because any unity... Even, even negative unity. You say, what do you mean? Well, even when it comes, if you've ever noticed that people that even get together in the wrong area, when they start getting big and start to organize and really become functional, they end up imploding from the inside out. Because it is a, the human law of unity because we're made in the likeness and image of God. Now notice what it says. They've become one. And they all have one language. So if you can get a group of people that all say the same thing. Come on. And they all have one language. And this, let me me read it from the beginning. And the Lord said, Behold the people are as one. And they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Let me read it in the Amplified. The Lord said, Behold, they are as one one people, and they all have one language. And And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And now nothing they have imagined they can do will be impossible for them. You say, now, now what does that mean? That means even the human family in its fallen state carries enough of the residue of creation that if they obey the law of God of one voice, one action, and one people, they can do anything. They can do anything. Cursed, blessed, positive, negative. But the good news of that is We've been redeemed. And if Satan fights unity anywhere, it's in the church. Because he knows. You get the Baptists, the Methodists, the Lutherans, the Pentecostals, the Charismatics, the Word of Faith. You can get every label of everybody that names the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as one people with one voice. What would happen? Well, he knows he wouldn't be able to do anything on the earth. He wouldn't be able to do anything. 
He knows that healing would spread. He knows that redemption would spread. He knows that drug addiction would cease. He knows that all the negative things on the earth would begin to cease. And God would literally rule and reign on the earth through the body of Christ. But see, the reason, he said, well, that needs to happen. It ain't going to, honey. Say, we need to pray. We need to believe God. It's not going to happen. As long as there is an adversary that can keep disunity in the human family, there's not going to be a huge coming together. You know, there was a, there was a doctrine that was preached back in, the, uh, back in the late 80s called the Dominion Doctrine. There was a man up in central Texas came up with it and a couple other guys over Atlanta and they took that doctrine and they went all over, all over the world with it. And they preached that as a church or as churches, you need to, first of all, if you work at Dairy Queen, you need to believe God to become the manager of Dairy Queen, then you need to believe God to buy it. That every mayor, every politician, every person needs to, needs to uh, 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 you know, be a, uh, a leader. You need, to, you need to run for mayor. You need to run for governor. You need to, every position of authority, every business, Christians have to take all of that over. And then when we take it all over, what we'll do is we'll invite Jesus to come back to the earth. Now, I'm telling you, this went all over the place. It's all over. Now, uh, I'll tell you a little funny story. On TVN, Dr. Summerall, who's somebody that we knew, and then Rod Parsley. Have you ever heard of Rod Parsley? Up in, from, uh, up in Ohio, Columbus, Ohio. We've met him several, had dinner with him a couple of times. They were on, Rod was just young in the, uh, his church was just starting, he was young in the pastorate. And so they were invited to be on TVN with this main guy that was teaching this doctrine. So on TBN, you know, Paul Crouch, how he was, he was in an interview, he was talking to the guy, was saying, yeah, yeah, and, and, and you know, everybody's like, yeah, amen, amen, amen. And so then they had a little special singer come on. And, and then they turned, uh, Paul Crouch turned to Dr. Summerall and said, now, Dr. Summerall, what do you think of that, about that? He says, it's a lie of the devil. It's a doctrine of hell. And if you listen to it, it's going to drag you down and you won't be able to do anything in the kingdom. Well, you can imagine what that did to the program. Amen. But thank God for voices of righteousness. No, we are living in a dispensation when we are commissioned by God to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And those that believe will be saved and those that won't that will be damned. And in the midst of that, there's going to be disunity. There's going to be turmoil, strife, wars, rumors of wars. The cursed human family is going to be manifesting. And I think after 6,000 years, they're manifesting the maximum potential of iniquity. It's happening right now. But in the meantime, there's going to be a group of people with righteousness in their heart, the Holy Ghost in their life. They're going to understand the things of God, the time in which they live, and they're going to be maximizing the maximum potential of righteousness in the earth in this day and hour. And I don't want to sit in the middle of that and watch either one happen. I want to be a part of what God's doing. Amen? So here's this tower and this city. And God said, he said, now they're not going to build a tower to heaven. Well, God said they were. God said they would do it. God said anything they imagined. Now think of that for a moment. The potential of the fallen human mind and soul to get into unity to the point that anything they imagine they'll do. Let's go to the moon. Amen? We used to, when we first went to Ireland, we found some really people that were in depression really bad. And so I, it seemed like every time we went over there, 
uh, we just would, would crack jokes, and whether publicly or privately. We were always trying to make them laugh, make them laugh, make them laugh. So what I did is I took all the good Aggie jokes and I made them into Irish jokes. <laughs> so one time I was preaching and I could tell, you know, people were kind of sitting there struggling to get it good. So I said, I said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, Ireland has figured out how to go to the moon. Uh, no, no, not go to the moon, go to the sun without burning up. And all those Irish people looking at me like this. I said, didn't you see it? It was in the paper yesterday. They've got a new space program, and, and Ireland is going to be the first nation to go to the sun without burning up. I had to say it like three or four times, and I had all their attention. They were all looking at me like this. And I said, you know what they figured out? They're going to go at night. And they just roared. They laughed. They rolled on the floor and it just, you know, it just broke something in them. Well, I'm telling you something. Whatever those people could have imagined, God saw the potential in humanity with one language and unity as nothing they imagined would be impossible or withheld from them. So what did he do? He had to come down and he had to confound their language. That's where all the languages of the earth came from. Listen, the languages of the earth did not develop you know, as they say, through, uh, what is it called? Uh, evolution. That we, you know, went from, uh, uh, to, you know, speaking what we do now. Amen. It didn't happen like that. Language came from God. Everybody say, from God. And He put language in humanity when He created the man and the woman. Language was in them. And when the man and the woman fell, their language fell. And that entire group of people that were on the earth from that time until this time spoke the same language. And at that point, God came down and confused their languages and all of the, language of the languages of the earth were born or birthed. I know there's variations of different ones. Different places have different dialects, things like that. But that's a God thing. That's something that God did. But the point of this we must understand is that God knows the potential of humanity. And He knows the potential of redeemed humanity. That is why your adversary is always trying to get you to think less of what you really are. That's why the true purpose of teaching on redemption is to see, is to show you who you really are. Because your largest or your greatest cord of identity does not need to be your gender does not need to be the color of your skin, does not need to be your, 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 the amount of money you have in the bank or your education. Your identity must be in Christ. And as you see yourself in Him, and as you see yourself in Christ, you see yourself redeemed, you see yourself a part of God's family, you see yourself healed. You see everything that God has provided for us in Christ, not as a theological maybe, but as a truth reality and the potential of what we can do as a people and as individuals on this earth is literally unlimited. Amen. Amen. I'm five minutes. Old. I'm going to close with one story. I've always taught this when I taught on redemption because I thought it was cool. I didn't believe it when I heard it so I went and researched it. Have you ever heard of a flea circus? A flea, a, 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 when I heard of a flea circus, I thought, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. But actually, you can make one. If you've got fleas, 
or maybe your neighbor has fleas. Or your dog has fleas. Now, here's what they tell us. A flea, literally, you know how small a flea is. It has the ability to jump 18 inches. Did you know that? And so, if you see a flea like on your dog or something or on your bed or your couch or in your car or somewhere, and, and, it's, and it disappears, look in an 18 inch circumference and, you, and you'll find it. Because a, a flea can jump 18 inches. So what they do is they get a, a, some fleas. And they put them in a jar with a lid on it. And the jar is not an 18-inch jar. The jar is only 12 inches tall. So the flea's down there in that jar. And so he's going to jump because fleas jump. Amen? So up he goes. And as he goes up, he hits 12 inches. Bam! He hits his head. He bruises his little eye. You know, all that kind of stuff. And he does it several times. But after about, literally they say, after about three or four hours, they'll quit trying to jump 18 inches. And they'll adjust their jump to 11 and a half inches. So they start jumping 11 and a half inches. So you get another jar that's only 8 inches. And you empty all those fleas into that jar. And so they were used to jumping now 11 and a half inches. So off they go up. Bam! They hit at 8 inches. Bruised head. You know, a whole 9 yards. All the trauma. So they adjust their jump to 7 and a half inches. Then you get about a 4 inch jar. And you put those fleas who are jumping 7 and a half inches into a 4 inch jar. And then they try to jump seven and a half inches, but at four inches, the same problem. The same problem Grandma had, Uncle Bob had, Mama had. Are you getting it? And so you take your little fleas that have the potential to jump 18 inches and just pour them out, and they only jump four inches, and they jump around. That's what's called a flea circus. Some of y'all might get rich off that, amen? Now, I heard that in the teaching in relationship to redemption. Because when Adam sinned, and when Noah and the flood, and all that that took place, the devil was putting the lid on humanity, and then humanity was poured out, and it, could, it just couldn't do it. It just couldn't jump no more. It could not make it. And we blamed all of the problems on the different jars, and the different heights. Amen. But then uh, another flea came. The Jesus flea. Amen. Amen. And he came and he started jumping around 18 inches. And everybody's going, whoa, look at this guy. He's healing. He's raising the dead. He's, he's doing this. He's doing that. He's jumping and jumping. But then he disappears. Where'd he go? He died. But he rose from the dead. The ultimate jump. And now he takes these little pastor, evangelist, prophet, teacher, fleas. And he spreads them around the world. And he says this. I know you're only jumping two inches, four inches, five inches. And it's all because of what's been happening all these years and all these jars you've been living in. But the lid is off. The jars are broken. And the potential, now listen to me. The potential of your jump has been restored. You'll never look at a flea the same again. The potential of your jump has been restored. And people, when they teach on the, they always do it on the, you know, the the butterfly and the and the and the, and the caterpillar. And when you see a butterfly, you don't think flying worm. Now think about that for a minute. Automatically, I mean, you know that 
green caterpillar that crawls down that most people step on and squish and all that green stuff comes out. But when you see this beautiful, we were watching them yesterday, these monarch butterflies flying by. You don't think, well, there goes a flying worm. Because there has been an identity, a metamorphosis took place, which means a change from the inside out. And when you change from the inside out because you've been made brand new, then nobody thinks poor old sinner saved by grace. Nobody thinks sick trying to get healed, poor trying to get rich, oppressed trying to get delivered. You begin to see yourself not in the shadow or the darkness of your first birth, but in the light and the glory of your new birth. Amen? Hallelujah. Lift your hands and thank the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning for what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. Father, even these mysteries that reside in your word, many of them it'll be heaven before we really can figure them all out and know what they're about. But you gave it to us for an example to show us your great divine plan of redemption. How it began... 4,000 years it took for the culmination. 2,000 years of it being proved upon the earth. And now as we go toward the end of a dispensation in which the full purchase price of redemption will be realized, how glorious shall that be? So we as a people will fight to maintain our voice and our unity to be a part of what you're doing in the earth today. And Father, we thank you today that Jesus is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. The remittance of sin is for every person. That anybody, the whosoevers of the world, can be saved. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.